When I was in middle school in Sweden, in my early teenage years, I kind of got this small uh, existential crisis almost. You know, what, what, what do I want to do with life? What's the meaning of all of this? And it was actually through that period I came up with what, as I see, my kind of life purpose, which is... Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Oliver. I'm CEO and founder of Depict and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Oliver. Thank you, Josef. Very nice to be here. It's uh, great to have you here. I think you are so cool with your, yeah, I think you hear this a lot with your young age. But let's jump into it, Oliver. My first question always, what is the PICT? Please do the elevator pitch. What the PICT does is we provide Amazon quality product recommendations to any e-commerce site. So. What does product recommendations mean? Well, if you go to uh, any e-commerce website, you go to a product, you you probably know about these related products. Others also bought widgets on the site. We are the engine behind that. We are the algorithm, the intelligence behind that. And we sell that as software as a service, basically. And now, now we're expanding, so it's not only kind of those small widgets on the site. It's also the search engine and eventually we'll cover uh, the whole site. The whole store. (laughs) You're taking over step by step. Yeah. And it's for e-commerce, right? Yes, e-commerce. We we only work with e-commerce. Thank you for the elevator pitch, Oliver. And then I want to move on to why the picked? How did you end up with that idea and the business? Great question. So... I'll provide a little bit longer story here to, to give full context. So uh, my personal background is that I got into computers very early. I played Minecraft and through Minecraft, I got into programming at a relatively young age. Um, and uh, yeah, like when, when I was in middle school in Sweden, in my early teenage years, I kind of got this small uh, existential crisis almost you, you know what 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 do i want to do with life what's the meaning of all of this and uh, it was actually through that period i came up with what as i see my kind of life purpose which is uh, to uh, ensure that the technology which is growing more and more right now artificial intelligence is uh, utilized in the best way possible for society. I I think that artificial intelligence is only in its early days in terms of its development. And in a few years, it will take over society more and more. And I want to be a part of that. So- And how how old were you when you got this like insight? uh, It started, I think, through that. I I really didn't like school. And uh, I was like, 
somehow I got into reading books about uh, automation, like, oh, in the future, a lot of jobs will be automated. So uh, I can't, maybe that was a reason for me to think, oh, I don't need to study for this since this will either way be automated somehow. <laughs> but then through that, I got to, yeah, basically reading a lot of books and especially a book called Super Intelligence. It's made by a Swedish philosopher called Nick Boström. Uh, which talks about how, uh, uh, yeah, how it can, we can basically, this sounds very spooky, but it's very possible that we could create an artificial intelligence, which is, imagine Einstein, but a thousand times smarter. Imagine what will happen to society then. So, you know, I like science fiction. I like programming. You know, this sounds like the right lane for me and I don't like school. So why not go all in on this AI thing instead? Kind of, um, that, that that's was my thinking then. So instead of going to lectures, I took these online courses. I, instead of, I don't know, going to, in my head, boring history class, I was coding on my own uh, AI projects, which I released to the internet. And through that, when high school was approaching, I got in contact with Klarna through the projects. I had open sourced and uh, I, I got a job there at Klarna. They, I, I first did a summer internship. They got impressed by what I did. And uh, we s had a setup where I was going to an online high school in the evenings and working at Klarna during the day. And that's where, you know, the seed f of the pick, the idea of the pick started to come about, right? Since you have one foot within uh, e-commerce, and one foot within the latest and greatest of AI research, since this was an AI research yeah. team. And uh, um, yeah, I, I, I've, of course, learned much more at Klarna than in high school. So I, I dropped out that first year. And uh, uh, I also got to see, you know, I got to see w w the challenges of e-commerce merchants, w what they face today and how behind they are compared to other larger players, let's say Amazon, when it comes to these more high-tech things such as product recommendations. Uh, according to a McKinsey study, roughly 45% of Amazon's revenue can be attributed through the recommendation engine, and that's nowhere near where the rest of the industry is. And, and it makes sense since no e-commerce, most e-commerce merchants don't reach the scale to be able to hire in-house AI developers, right? That, yeah. that make, doesn't make sense at all. And you need a lot of data to train it properly and so forth. So the idea of the PICT is basically, how can we democratize that kind of technology to everyone else? And uh, I can go on and on about where I think, how it will look in the future. I think we're only in the beginning stages of how recommendation engines will impact e-commerce, but I'll, I'll end there. Thank you, Oliver. And yeah, totally makes sense now uh, with the, the last puzzles I missed uh, to hear this. So we move on actually to the first question from a listener. I'm going to throw it in right now because it makes sense you, and you will understand why when you hear that question. So this question is from Emily Marmander, founder of the sustainability produce shirts brand SheSize. Hi, Oliver. What's the biggest mistakes you have seen e-commerces have done before? That's a great question. I think 
the biggest mistake, the meta mistake almost for e-commerce is not being able to handle IT in-house in a good way. You're too dependent on third parties to make changes on your e-commerce site. So everything from, you know, you want to be able to iterate, you want to have a hypothesis, make a change to whatever you're doing and measure the impact. Quickly also. Yeah, exactly. And that's way slowed down by through this by the state of how e-commerce merchants handle their technology right now. They're usually tied into uh, some uh, legacy e-commerce platform, which very hard to iterate on. And when they have to make a change, they have to use a third-party consultancy firm to make these changes. And the incentives aren't properly uh, aligned there. Great answer. And uh, Emily, thank you so much for your question. We are moving on. Now it's time to talk about being a leader. What do you like the most about being a leader? What I like the most is that I can choose the team which is around me. And uh, even though I'm not, you know, I, I'm I'm young, I haven't done a lot of the things we're doing at the Pict, managing a sales team, finance, etc., etc. But I can hire people who do it much better than me, and you can get an immense amount of leverage through that. And you can choose the people you work with, so it's a team you enjoy going to work with uh, every day. Would you say, is that the number one thing? I, I, I would say that's... Uh, I would say that's a superpower if you can do it properly. Yeah. Nice. And, and uh, nice. You are, you are laying it up for me so easy to my next question here, because my follow-up question was, what is your greatest strength as a leader? And since you're talking about superpower, what is your superpower and greatest strength? Yeah. So maybe I'll dissect it into two things. The meta strength, the best strength you can have is hire people who can do, do the work for you much better than you could yourself, right? If you can solve that, then you're you're in very good hands. Um, another thing which I think... And, and, and now uh, I stop you here before we don't go to the second thing. I want to dive one layer deeper here. Can you please, you, you just say that this is the superpower, but ha- have you any one, two or three best practices how you have developed and finding those people and make sure, uh, please share something here. Yeah, so how, how, how do I do this? How can I recruit people? Um, I think I've uh, one thing which actually helps is the age aspect. Some, some people would think that it's a weakness that, oh, I, I don't want to work for this uh, 19-year-old, uh, for instance, right? But people are easily, they want, they're curious to hear. They are captivated by the story, by... By the, by the vision and they want to help out, right? So by being very authentic and sharing your story, that's, that's kind of been a superpower and people want to be part um, of that journey. Another thing which uh, has worked pretty well is just, I, I would say, so I, I've been quite a lot uh, on LinkedIn and I spend a lot of time myself on LinkedIn doing the outreach myself. And even though someone isn't interested in joining you, they're always happy to help out introducing to others. So you have to just put in the time and 
talk to a lot, a lot of people. Uh, and and um, another thing which is often underestimated is that sometimes hiring someone takes a lot of time. So if we look at our VP sales uh, at the Pict, it took roughly one and a half years and we, until he joined from the first meeting. So you have to just keep in touch. Nice. Thank you. And here we we need to talk forward all the off the record regarding VAM. If you if you spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and doing personalized outreach, etc. But we move on to the second thing of high level. You you talked about meta uh, finding right people, but you had one more thing. Yes. So I would say that's being able to work between. So we were part of an accelerated called Y Combinator. And what Y Combinator really emphasizes are two things. And if you do those two things well, then you could create a huge startup. And those things are write code, talk to users. If you can do those things well and be the bridge in between, then you can create great things. Can you talk to users, understand their problems deeply? Can you persuade them why the solution you have is a great solution to it, while also being able to connect that to a deep understanding of what's technically possible and make that happen. So I'm not the best person at both of them, but being kind of in the, in the intersection point is definitely a strength I have. Thank you so much, Oliver. We have talked about strengths, what you like the most. So we are shifting focus now to a bit more. I, I don't want to say negative part, but challenging part. We're going to talk about what are your biggest challenges right now for you and the PICT? So uh, something we're doing right now is we're uh, becoming much more focused in the target customer uh, we have. So before we, we worked with a very broad set of e-commerce merchants. If someone was happy to use us, Let's go, let's onboard them. Um, but now we've focused to a much a tighter ideal customer profile, which is uh, fashion. So if someone is selling electronics, let's say, you know, that's not part of the ideal customer profile. And, and this leads to us needing to make changes in how we do outreach to people, right? It needs to be much more focused and targeted. Um, that means that we've uh, kind of changed how we work with our products. So there's a lot of internal changes we have to make to become uh, much more focused uh, around that. And we've also tightened the way we do customer onboardings. When you're very early on, you can, we say we do everything, right? Yeah. We just we fix it. We fix it. Yeah, we we fix it. We fix it, right? But now we have to standardize it. We have to charge a uh, onboarding fee, all of those things. Yeah, I, that part, I know exactly what you're talking about because we're <laughs> in that middle too. Also about focusing. <laughs> but yeah, so, so spot on, Oliver. So uh, so you would say that that is your two main challenges right now that you put a lot of time and thoughts into. Yeah, exactly. And of course, these are hard decisions, but uh, it's a lot of just coordinating internally and so forth to do those changes, right? So, Thank you. So we have arrived to the second question from a listener, and this is from Selina Lorien Safar. 
She is the founder of the children's brand Stuckies. And this is her question. You quit high school, gymnasium at an early age to work more for Klarna. How has that affected your personal life and your social life? That's a great question. So you definitely make sacrifices if you, you know, it's not only about the education, right? Oh, now I, even though I would think that I could, I could learn the things I wanted to learn without high school there, as she mentioned, there's a lot of other aspects as well. And for me, I felt that I've known what I wanted to do since a relatively early age. So I just couldn't wait to get out there and do it. And I found that people, I, it's true that most most people I are with socially are a little bit older, but we, we, uh, we bond a lot through shared interests when it comes to artificial intelligence or the meditation and those kinds of things. So instead of having uh, a shared age group and that's how you bond, it's more through shared interest. Nice. So continue. Uh, which three KPIs are your top KPIs that are most important for the big than you? You can say five if you want, but let's focus to three, maybe maximum five. This will sound relatively boring, but uh, I, I would say ARR is, of course, extremely important. Uh, net dollar retention becomes more and more important now when we raised our Series A. When we do our Series B, net dollar retention is definitely something which people look at. And uh, I would say it's also quite important to monitor your runway nowadays. So how many months are there until you have you know, zero cash in the bank, basically. Um, then just a meta point, we, as we transition from a series, being a series A company to series B company, we need to see much more predictability all over the business. If we do X, we know we'll get Y, right? So we, we try to, um, we try to find the metrics which might correlate to the end metrics much earlier on. So what's our pipeline right now and how does that equate to ARR in the business? You know, those kind of things. What what can we do to have much higher predictability? Oh, nice. You didn't need that in the Series A then. I, I thought some of those things are uh, more... We needed that. We needed that. But uh, at the same time, if your ARR grows a lot, then that kind of can also speak for itself. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you, you mentioned uh, three main KPIs and uh, one more. And then, so now we talked about the main KPIs. What do you have for goal systems, frameworks at the pick them for yourself to make sure that you're doing the right things? Yeah, so we're quite similar to other startups in that we use OKRs. Um, we uh, uh, plan them on a, in a quarterly cycle. So we don't have longer OKRs than that right now. Okay, all, always quarterly. Nice. Yeah, and uh, we we do it in conjunction with our company offsites. So we're a remote first company. So that means it's very important to get everyone together as a team and you know meet in person. And in conjunction with these offsites, we're also doing the quarterly OKR planning. So. First, we set the company-wide OKRs where 
it's kind of like a first we do a bottoms up and uh, uh, we, we ask people in a bottom ups manner, what does each team think we need for the company wide OKRs? Then top down the leadership team comes up with a proposal and then uh, each team can then give feedback on the company wide OKRs, if that makes sense. Uh, and and then from based on the company wide OKRs, we then cascade down. So each team sets their own. Yeah, it makes total sense. I love how you start at the bottom and then uh, jump to the top. And then, yeah, I, it makes so much sense when you say. We want to have buy-in at least at this stage of the company. So uh, it, there's some extra process there, but I've found that given that we become pretty good at uh, having a written culture, you can do it relatively quick, efficiently. So we use something called the Rapids, which is a framework taken from uh, Bain, I think, which is a very efficient way to asynchronously get buying from a lot of people and take decisions very quickly. So if you haven't looked at that yet, you can Google rapid decision-making. And that's that's been amazing tool for us to move quickly on this. You, you tapped into remote first, uh, yeah, part of here, culture, I would say. So, so then I'm going to... I'm going to shift in my questions and don't have the last listener question. And, and I'm going to jump straight into best practices, Oliver, for maintaining a great company culture. You're a remote first company. How do you do it in the right way? So first regarding, we call ourselves remote first, but as you can see, I'm actually, today I'm in an office. Uh, and uh, so technically some people would call us hybrid remote but uh, what what I've what from what I've seen is that if you aren't very very disciplined in how you do hybrid remote there's a lot of pitfalls coming out of that so the reason we call ourselves remote first is that we want to ensure that we follow every best practice as well as possible so if you're in the office you should uh, operate in the same way as you were a remote first um, employee. So that's kind of an example on how we uh, worked with culture. Uh, this might sound cheesy, but we emphasize our, our company values a lot. Uh, we're doing a, a little bit of a revamp of them to make them even clearer right now and tie it to our performance development process as well. So for each company value, we tie uh, core competencies uh, in the performance development pr uh, framework to that. Uh, but uh, really try to remind people of the company values as part of the all hands. So we have, uh, uh, for every all hands, we do company value celebrations. So And how, how often do you have all hands? Uh, right now, bi-weekly. Bi-weekly for an hour. Okay. We, yeah, we raise them uh, for every offsite. We do quite the... Uh, we have quite an ambitious price, for, so we do a little bit of a bigger company value award where you can uh, get a pretty good price uh, if you win the company value awards. What is the price? Can you say it? Uh, last time it was either you went skydiving or you went to a Michelin-starred restaurant in Stockholm. Wow, that that is like you said, that is a good price. Exactly. So so it's high stakes. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and, 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 and then something which has helped a ton is hiring uh, a really great uh, head of people or head of people experience. So uh, we have uh, Crystal at the Pict and she's been through this journey multiple times and she's uh, fantastic in uh, helping build up the right frameworks and processes around this. Nice. Okay, Oliver, so now now it's time for the last question from a listener. Are you ready? Yes. Nice. Let's go with Micke Selander, the founder of Sassy Agency, which helps companies get more leads and customers. Hey, Oliver. I know that it's not easy to raise capital, and I'm so impressed by your journey. What's your learnings when raising capital, and especially at this young age? And what's your top tip for other founders trying to raise capital for their startup? Thank you so much. All the best. Cool. So the way we've thought about uh, uh, investors and raising capital is we've never really optimized our day-to-day running of the business for the sake of investor optics or anything like that. We've really tried to focus a lot on the fundamentals first. Do we grow basically what's our growth and then we do a fundraise when the investors are coming knocking at on our door we shouldn't come knocking on their door we start the process when they come knocking on our door since then you have the leverage right and it's it's nice if you've built relationships with partners and so forth before that happens since then you can very quickly start a process and you can create this uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. It's usually hardest to close. Uh, the first third of the round is usually the hardest, and then the rest kind of happens by itself since other investors see that uh, they invest. Uh, then another uh, relatively practical thing is uh, I found that the US uh, investor venture capital climate is um, a little bit more liberal, a little bit more... Uh, risk taking, I would say, uh, they, they're open to take big bold bets. So uh, we uh, we actually are we're actually a, a U.S. company. So we have a, a Swedish subsidiary, but uh, the main company is a Delaware C Corp. And if you have a Delaware C Corp, then you can much more easily raise capital from U.S. investors. So roughly eighty percent of our investors come from the U.S. Uh, and uh, I found that. If they come from more Silicon Valley, Y Combinator-like circles, they're very founder-friendly and it's been, been, been a joy to work with them. Thank you so much for the input here, Oliver. And thank you, Micke, for the last question here from a listener. So now we are going to run this up, Oliver. So... The first question here on the roundup, I uh, I have started to add it in. I have always asked this in all episodes. This is a like VAM oriented question because I want to know about outreach. So Oliver, what would you say is the best way to do a cold outreach to you to get your attention? To me, yeah. So I'm quite uh, direct as a uh, I I want it to be very direct. So if you can. In the subject line, maybe say, we will solve your problem. Just, okay, I, I know I have this problem. Just say, we solve this problem. And then very quickly, very like two, three sentences explain how you do it. And 
a clear next step for me. I think that's the best way to do outreach to me. I, I, I know that it's not how other some other people prefer it, but probably to me that's the best way. And, and in terms of channels, I think LinkedIn is probably the best that is the best way. I, I thank you for giving me data points around good topic line, a few sentences, and then and I just <laughs> no follow one question. I need to know: Would you, if you have a good pitch, good topic, good three sentences, etc., caught your attention? Would you jump in a meeting with me right away, or would you prefer like a quick demo, small video, etc.? I would probably have uh, some questions. Uh, I will send uh, for a message to you for text. And uh, I found that, that some people uh, use maybe a video message or something more personal then. That could be good since now I know, okay, this person is actually invested and it, it could get your attention. Exactly. But th- that is the second step. The first step needs to be short text. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much, Oliver, here uh, for helping with the learning regarding sales and outreach show. If you would give yourself... Some advice now when you are wiser than you were a few years ago. What is the top one, two, or three things, but keep it short, you would tell yourself and me and the listeners? Great question. So one one advice to me is I, I have a kind of a strength and a weakness. It's a double-edged sword, which is around that I can be very stubborn. Uh, sometimes I'm very principled. I want to be disciplined and follow a set of principles when I work on a company. So uh, sometimes I, and, so, and that's been great, but sometimes I also need to revisit these principles. Since sometimes we've been doing things, let's say in the company for too long and we should have done them uh, earlier. Um, I think another thing, um, would probably be, yeah, I, I think hiring more senior people earlier would definitely help. We bias towards hiring people who sound and look more like me and my co-founder earlier. So younger, very tech savvy people, but finding more senior people who've been through the journey before um, would definitely help. Uh, and then I, I, I think you can never talk to customers enough. Um, so, so uh, and, and especially something I've learned is that it's different to be in a sales call with a customer and just, and just have a very focused open-ended customer interview. So I think it's important to do both, but have a balance between them, I think is important. Nice. Great input here. Thanks for sharing. And so Oliver, wish to... B2B SaaS CEOs are you inspired by and would like me to interview in this podcast and listen to? So this is uh, someone based in Canada, but I've found him very inspiring. Uh, Andrew Wilkinson, uh, he's uh, founder and CEO of a company called Tiny Capital. And he basically owns a company which starts other SaaS companies. So it's kind of a meta SaaS company in that sense. So he probably has a lot of principles which are interesting to get learnings from. I think it would be interesting to hear from 
Maybe you've already interviewed him, but uh, UL Heller Market, uh, Sana Labs, he's also been through uh, uh, our journey of starting young and so forth. It'd be interesting to have him on as well. No, I haven't had him yet, but he is on my list. So Great. thank you. Now I will say hi from you also when I do the sharp reach out and like more and more people want to listen to you, Joel. So thank you, Oliver, <laughs> for the names. And uh, yeah, we, are, we have reached the end of this interview. You who listened, if you like what you heard and got value, please press the subscription button and also check out some of the previous episode. And Oliver, a huge, huge thank you for putting aside 30 minutes of your precious time together with me to help the community and me keep on learning. Thank you. Thank you for being able to chat with you here.